Suicide, the dramedy podcast about mental illness and choosing life over death, one cup of coffee at a time. I'm your host, Chris Parker Howard. And today on the show, we have got Dr. Sapna Shahak. Uh, This is a great conversation. We get into a lot of things. Specifically, we dig into uh, doctors having burnout. And the reason why this is such a big deal is because uh, many doctors, when they experience some sort of a burnout or mental health crisis, they're expected to keep quiet about it professionally. Uh, They are expected to not say anything about it. And in fact, if you start having uh, some sort of a mental health crisis and you're a doctor, um, you can get into some real sticky situations. So uh, I'll let her talk about that at great length in the conversation. It's pretty amazing, and it's a topic definitely worth discussing. And we're going to get right into it. But before we do, I just wanted to check in and let everybody know uh, I appreciate all of the comments. Thank you for checking in on me about the uh, trials and tribulations of a bipolar person starting medication for the first time in 17 years. Uh, It has been an interesting ride. Uh, the medication has been going pretty well for me so far, and uh, it, it, it did have a little bit of a problem in the beginning. And I reached out to my doctor, and my doctor made some adjustments, and boom, we're in the, we're in the Goldilocks zone. Uh, now, does that mean that I am free from the sadness and the darkness? Uh, no. No, it does not, because uh, while I haven't had any suicidal ideation in maybe the past month, which is phenomenal for me, I have definitely been dipping into some uh, some despair here and there and some uh, some negative thoughts here and there. But see, that's the thing. Medication doesn't fix that stuff. Medication makes your brain work a little better so you can fix that stuff. So have I been working on those things? You better believe it. I've been working on it, and I'm seeing some results, and overall, I'm feeling pretty good. So, uh, before we get into the conversation, I did want to let you know that if you wanted to get some Coffee Over Suicide swag in your life, such as a Tri-Blend Soft t-shirt, or maybe a mug, a mug is always a safe bet, you can go to tpublic.com slash user slash randomify. That's spelled R-A-N-D-U-M-B-I-F-Y. And you can get yourself something. You can get a cell phone case. You can get a laptop case. You can get a pillow. You can get a wall hanging. You can get all kinds of things. And right now, during the holidays, you can get those things for 35% off. And a couple of dollars of the sale kicks over to me, and it helps keep the lights on. 
And if you want to help keep the lights on even more, you can go to the Patreon for Coffee Over Suicide. There are some rewards for being a patron for a while. Uh, you can also go to meetup.com and leave anonymous donations there if that is your thing. Don't forget, each and every Thursday, I host a mental wellness meetup for people to just get together, get some things off their chest. It's just like-minded people getting together to talk about their issues. There's no therapist involved. It is not real recorded. It is uh, just happening right there in the moment. So every Thursday, uh, twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening. So go ahead and look for that on meetup.com, Coffee Over Suicide. You can also find uh, sapnashahak.com and look up all of the wonderful, wonderful things that she has for you there. But I'll let her tell you her story. Let's get into this conversation with the amazing... Dr. Sapna Shahak. Well, good morning. Good Hi. Uh, do I call you doctor or? <laughs> uh, no, no, just uh, Sapna. Sapna, of course. Yes, please. Uh, so, good morning. How are you today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Not too bad. Um, as I've been talking about a little bit lately, uh, I have started a new round of medication for my particular cocktail of uh, mental fun, and uh, it's working. And that's always good news. But, uh, you know, some strange side effects going around. Like, uh, so if you see me kind of shuffling in my chair, uh, I'm getting some restless leg. And uh, it just kind of, I'll take the trade-off between this and, you know, the constant suicidal ideation. I'll take a little bit of leg movement. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's, so uh... tell me about you. First of all, where am I talking to you from? Sure, I'm in rural Kansas. Nice. What's that like? Uh, well, it's it's November, so cold, cold, yeah. and wonky weather. Uh, you know, we'll go from like yeah. 45 of, of a high, and yesterday was like 70. So it's great for allergies, right? <laughs> but no, it's, yeah. uh, uh, I love it here. Uh, I love I love uh, the slower pace of life. It's a great place to raise small kids. It's um, I think people actually still know their neighbors. I work with some of my neighbors, and it's yeah. just great. It's a great community. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I went through Kansas a number of times uh, it, because I, I'm originally from the Midwest. And so, uh, you know, going th from Denver through Kansas to uh, Michigan uh, made that trip several times. And there's just rolling fields. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, well, I, I'm lucky enough to live at the foothills of the uh, Flint Hills, so it's um, really pretty. It's really yeah. pretty. A lot of limestone and uh, not as flat as western Kansas, so uh, I, I think I live in the best part. <laughs> well, let's let's go back. Uh, it, it, tell me a little bit about um, uh, because I want to get I want to get to uh, where you are now by, uh, going back to where you were before. So uh, tell me a little bit about growing up 
And I mean, uh, what was what was little Sapna like? Uh, same as I am now, still very opinionated and outspoken. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, um, you know, it's more of a why this, why that. You know. Yeah. Um, my my mom always used to say, "Do as do as I tell you to," or because I said so, that doesn't work right. with me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's got to be. I mean, that kind of that kind of uh, you know er, er, early analytical mind, uh, I imagine, would be the kind of thing that you know once it's pointed in a direction, uh, it can do a whole lot of things, as evidenced by the fact that you know, I mean, you went through med school. I mean, all of that is really, really challenging, to say the least. And I think that segues pretty well into the topic of burnout. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that. Like how, how did you first come? First of all, I, I'd like to know, like what was, uh, what was your experience of school like? Because that sounds particularly grueling and let's, let's start there. Sure. So, um, you know, before medical school is, it was, a lot of fun and you know, a lot of, a lot of working and, but it was, it was fine. It was a lot of fun. You know, I could study for a test 30 minutes before the actual test. Um, but medical school was, was different, right? It's like drinking from a fire hose. And, yeah. uh, the first time I went through medical school, uh, actually I loved the subject matter and anatomy lab and everything, but with the structure, the way it was, um, Eight to five, Monday through Friday, and then I mean, classes, lecture, and labs. Um, I didn't have a lot of time to do things outside of medicine, or you know, spend time with family and friends. So I really looked at it and said, "What am I doing? And is this payoff? Is the payoff really worth the the time I'm putting in now?" And for me, it was a no. I had a family member that was terminally ill at the time, and uh, that really influenced my decision to drop my classes. I just wasn't feeling it. I wasn't, to me, it wasn't worth it. I uh, really looked at, do I really want to do medicine? What else could I do? And um, I spent the summer, you know, talking to former history professors and the family, um, Catholics so of the family priest, right? Yeah. Um, and it was more of, what What do you want? You know, if you, if you went and did a PhD in ancient ancient Egypt and Egyptian history, you would be teaching. Would you like that? And I said, uh, probably not. I want to be more in the field and hands-on. And it's just like, yeah, it's probably not going to happen with your lack of connections. So as yeah. you know, that's reality. I appreciated the uh, realistic approach. Um, and in the meantime, the medical school I was at the University of Kansas actually revamped their uh, curriculum. So it was more three hours of lecture and they cut out all the fluff. Um, which to me was a big deal. It's like, yeah, okay, I can, I can handle that. It's not that I don't want to work hard. I'm willing to work hard, but you know, there's so much more to life than, than just that. And if that's the way life is going to be, that was not worth the time, the investment of my time at, at that point. But with the restructuring, it was giving the same information, board pass rates, you know, I believe were fine. Uh, I know mine were. And, yeah. um, allowed me to uh, do quite well with um, with the balance of school and other aspects of life so that was that was much better um, 
I can tell you that the culture of medicine is can be toxic. Um, well, talk to me a little bit about that. I, I'm very curious about that. So, you know, the, uh, and I'm kind of speaking in general terms, I think that when, when people say, see or hear that, oh, you're a physician, you know, it's just like, oh, that's, um, you've got it made, right? Right. Um, but I would, I would say in what sense? I have a, uh, I have a career that I love. But also, there's a lot behind the scenes, kind of like the Wizard of Oz, and yeah, it's a. I'm not doing. I'm not referring to that because I'm from Kansas, but I think it's one of the best literary as well as the best, you know, cinematography. I think that we can all relate to. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more behind the curtain. You know, there's a fact that physicians give up at least a decade of of their lives for schooling and then training on top of that, and we incur a lot of debt to be able to do that. You know, even a state school right now is about forty to fifty thousand dollars a year, and that's not even including living expenses. Yeah. So if we compound the debt on top of, you know, undergrad and grad school if there's anything, plus interest, plus the fact that um the culture of medicine is expecting us to have no boundaries with our personal lives and be on call all the time. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot, there are a lot of other fields I could think of that requires less schooling, less liability, and would allow better work-life balance. So while it's a privilege to work with people at their most vulnerable points, it's not like everybody is sitting in a mansion or... Or on a right. yacht, like I've 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 been asked, and now I mean, we I live pretty modestly. Yeah. And so, there's a lot of debt, and there's a lot of liability. It's it's a high stress job at times, and um, but it's all worth it. It's all yeah. worth it. But it seems like it's it's uh it, it seems like it would be a situation that would be very prone to uh, developing depressive disorders or anxiety disorders or uh, you know what I mean like how how prevalent is that sure that's a great question I don't think we know this true to sit the true statistics um, you know I, I often say that um, in medicine we see a lot of loss we see a lot of trauma mm -hmm. and the mind was not built to handle that you know, how can, it's very tough at times to, well, it's still tough, and I'm 10 years into practice, it's tough to go from one room, since I do outpatient only, it's very tough to go from one room, where I just delivered a cancer diagnosis, to um, going to see somebody, you know, for a general checkup. So yeah. I, I literally have to take a few minutes and decompress or have a... Um, I have to take that time, but uh, I would say that the numbers are probably going to be underrepresented because in medicine, and this is this is where I get really worked up and on my soapbox, um, there is true fear for actually reporting mental illness. Yeah. Because 
are you familiar why? Yeah, well, I, I mean, it, it seems like it would be, I mean, the stigma has got to be huge. Yeah. On top of it, uh, there, I mean, would there be decertifications or, uh, you know, if you've, are you, you're unfit to practice, uh, you know, things of that nature? Is that, is that all part of the concern? You hit every single point. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I laugh. It's, and it's not funny. It's just more of a reaction, right? right? Um, well, yeah, cause that's crazy. It is. We want people to get help if they need help. And we tell people all the time. I'm sure you tell people all the time. Yes. If you're struggling, reach out. <laughs> yes. And, you know, and, and uh, that's the, that's the double-edged sword, isn't it? And that's yeah. where I say that the uh, culture of medicine is toxic because we're very, very formed at the beginning to shut up, keep our heads down, don't create any waves, and we have to fit a certain mold. Yeah. Uh, through medical school, through residency, you know, no boundaries. Um, you know, this is just the way it always has been. And quite frankly, that culture of medicine is antiquated because the fathers of medicine were dubbed upon cocaine. When, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And the residents, you know, were really living within the hospitals, and that was the only thing they had to do. Like, they couldn't be married and they couldn't have families. So now fast forward to 2022, and even when I went through... Um, no medical school and residency, I, I understand the need for long hours of residency and that's the way you get training. Yeah. But to to keep doing that to ourselves just because that's the way it has always been is, is crazy. So then you compound that with the fact that, hey, if you go get help, and by the way, asking for help or showing any type of weakness or emotion in medicine is really like taboo. Because yeah. if you ask for help, you show weakness. Right. But, I mean, we're not superheroes, <laughs> we're humans. Right. I have a, a, and so it just floors me that the same advice we give our patients, we cannot embody that ourselves. Because yes, every, like every year when we go to renew our license, um, in, in Kansas, it used to be, do you suffer from anxiety, depression, or substance abuse? And... Uh, since this, or since October 2019, that was changed to a consolidated question that reads something along the lines of, "Do you suffer from X, Y, and Z that would be that would impede your ability to practice medicine?" Yeah, which is completely different from the way it was worded before. Um, and just that wording, you know, they're they're looking up. Hey, we, and I've talked to a few of the board members of the Board of Healing Arts, and they're, we want physicians to get help. We don't care that you have uh, depression or anxiety, but we want you to get, like, we do care. We don't care that you have that. We want you to get help so that yeah. way we don't lose more physicians. Um, well, yeah, but, because uh, suicide rates, uh, uh, alcoholism, I mean, it, it, it's got to be heavily prevalent. Yes, and I just mean accepted. we. We lose four hundred physicians a year to suicide here in the United States. Yeah, and I mean those are just stats that we know that could be underrepresented. Yeah, and that's not well. And how many people drink themselves to death? You know what I mean? Uh, how many it's, people work themselves to death? <laughs> no, a lot, a lot. I'm sitting here with a smile on my face because it's not that it's funny, but it, you know, there's Alcoholics Anonymous for 
like groups specifically for professionals, right? Like physicians yeah. and lawyers, because we have this, we can't seek help. Right. So yeah, that's, that's a legal substance. That's a coping mechanism. And I can totally understand why somebody would do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, 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 it stands to reason. It's completely, it's like when, like years ago I used to smoke and when I was attempting to quit, the thing that I realized, I had friends that were doing all kinds of other things. You know, as a musician, <laughs> I was around people doing all kinds of stuff. Right. Um, and like I had other friends that quit smoking, but they were like, you know, they were doing other things. It was like they started drinking. It was like it was because they just swap one thing for the other because it's legal. It's acceptable. It's everywhere. And and there's there's like a method behind it almost like the idea of hard day pour yourself a glass of doers you know like it's just kind of like there it is and that can creep up on you pretty fast for the way that the dependency develops and you know party time let's drink sadness let's drink morning let's drink uh it, you know and and stress forget about it I mean, it's prevalent, it's everywhere and, and it's completely acceptable. Uh, and especially if you're, if you're high functioning, if you're high functioning, forget about it. Nobody's going to say a word, but you know, yeah, that's, that's incredible. So then what do you, uh, because burnout is something that you talk about quite a lot. So what, what do you think about uh, about the topic of burnout and how it can be alleviated. Well, and, first tell me what, what burnout means to you. Like talk sure. a little bit about that. Sure. So, I mean, Dr. Maslach, you know, there's that criteria of, um, being disconnected, fatigued, and mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm not going to say demoralized, but I'm forgetting all the four criteria, the, the, the criteria right now, but I mean, it's related to work to where you are disconnected, cynical, uh, fatigued, where it's not, your fatigue is not, um, combated by, by rest. Yeah. And yes, I definitely agree with that. And I've seen it myself twice, uh, through practice in the last 10 years. Yeah. But I think that there is something that, um, that we look at that is missing from that. And that is, um, looking at the whole being and yeah. my personal, my, my personal opinion, and I'm by no way an expert on this, but the reason why I'm interested in burnout is after going through it twice myself, um, and then the pandemic, looking at physicians being asked to come out of uh, retirement, volunteering while mid-levels were going to get paid an arm and a leg. Yeah. And that just seems very backwards. Yeah. And I don't understand how we can ask one person to come out of retirement, but we're going to pay this group of people thousands of dollars to do what this person is going to do, um, volunteering. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, we're putting, 
it's almost like a bad Catholic guilt trip. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, and I and I use that as a, maybe a term that um, I mean, it's just like a bad guilt trip. You know, you're really yeah. placing guilt on altruism, and you can't do that. So that's that's why I started doing that. But uh, the podcast. But um, also, um, back in 2019, I lost my best friend from medical school and uh, residency to suicide, and so. No, that no, nobody saw that coming. Yeah. Um, and it was more than just work-related. Uh, the system is horrible here in the United States because of we put money before people's health, and we as physicians are not allowed to do what we were trained to do, which was not to look at a computer. We're we're taught to interact with people and and work with those that are that are suffering well, you can't do that very well with a computer and you sure as heck can't do that very well with a 15 minute slot right and uh, yeah unfortunately that's that's where we're at um and you know co-pays i mean i can bring people back every week but co-pays for some are are difficult to come by and um, luckily I, I work in a place where i have I'm able to, I'm employed, but I have um, some, quite a bit of control over my schedule. I work part-time. Yeah. And um, so I've been able to, to uh, I'm able to play within the boundaries, but also take care of patients the way I would like, more so than in another, in another setting. Yeah. But the reason why I mention all this is because all these things do relate to burnout and they are not addressed within that um, within that definition. And so what can be done to alleviate it? Um, I would say that the healthcare system definitely needs to change, right? We actually need to put value on the ones that are in the front lines, not just physicians, but nurses and yeah. all support staff. Uh, we need to actually give people the tools that they need to do their job safely. Um, I was having this conversation earlier and even yesterday. Uh, I really hate patient satisfaction scores because it uh, diminishes that uh, relationship between the patient and the physician. And, you know, this is not a restaurant or a hotel. But what I do care about are hopefully good outcomes. But what people don't realize is that 80% of disease is related to lifestyle. So if you've yeah. done 40 years of damage, I can't undo that. Yeah. But I can educate you as to where you're at and how do we, how we move forward with what we got. Um, so there's that disconnect. And I, I think that relates to burnout is because we're allowed, we're expected as physicians to have uh, perfect outcomes all the time. Um, mm -hmm. That's unrealistic. I'm expected by you know um, in a I'm expected to dress a certain way, present myself a certain way, be perfect all the time, have every answer known to man related to your health, and um, make sure that you're never going to get sick. Well, right. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a genie. Yeah. <laughs> And, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, no pressure, right? Um, 
So, I mean, there's, there are a lot of these things that are unrealistic. And uh, to say that I'm never going to cry with a patient, no, I'm not going to go in hysterical. Right. But, yeah, when I, when I deliver a bad diagnosis, a cancer to a patient, um, if I don't cry there with them, I'm, I might wait till I get home. But it's it's definitely gonna come out and you know, it comes out in the it definitely comes out in the uh, exam room too. Do you think that stoicism is part of what leads to people having, uh, you know, poor me- mental health outcomes? Like that idea that you've got to keep all of that just tamped down tight, you know? Oh, for sure, for sure. I I really do. I think that, um, again, a lot of what is in medicine is antiquated and, yeah. you know, I think, um, I wonder why the fathers of medicine were doing cocaine all the time. I wonder if it was an, <laughs> I wonder if it was a numbing agent as well as for them to be able to stay up. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but it's it's crazy to think that you have to hold your feelings in, and uh, I can I can tell you that I I don't I mean I can I personally have found that since Dr. Baker's death by suicide in 2019, um, I'm pretty open with the fact that I'm in counseling. Yeah. Like I I'm in therapy, and good. <laughs> yeah, I, I needed help. I could not process my my friend's death by myself. I tried for a year and it ended up horribly, you know, with nightmares and and um, I just had nightmares. Yeah. Uh, how how do you not? Yeah, um, I mean, how do you how do you suppress all of those feelings? You just the the easy answer is you don't. They're going to come out in some way. And it's it's a matter of is it going to be a way that's going to be helpful to you and serving you in processing that grief, or is it going to be damaging to you in processing that grief? Because it's going to come out one way or the other. Right, right. But see, that's I think that's one thing that um, people in general don't understand, right? Mm-hmm. And then if uh, in the medical profession, we're not supposed to, again, we're supposed to be pretty stoic. So we're, even if like before medical school, we were in touch with our feelings, um, there's a lot of work I think to be, that, that, that is done to almost erase that. Yeah. Like to keep you within a certain mold and certain, certain parameters. And to be honest with you, it took me took me a while, well, it took me two years to, um, to undo that, right? To, to be open with the fact that, yes, I'm, I'm in, I'm in therapy for it and I'm incredibly thankful for my therapist and I'm open about it with patients. I'm open about it with my medical students because number one, it shows that I'm human. Number two, it shows that, uh, I try to practice what I preach to my patients. Yeah. And, uh, now it's, now my, my therapy is sacred. I, on those days, I will not focus on anything but that. I would think your patients would appreciate something like that in most cases. I, I think so. I, I would tend to think so. Um, 
It takes a lot of vulnerability to, to say that. You know, to say, hey, I'm in therapy. I think it helps. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, because um, only damaged people are in therapy, right? Or on, right. Or on that. <laughs> but but that, that's, that's not true. Right. It's not of course. true. Of course. I mean, every therapist I've ever had has had a therapist. I mean, everybody does. Yes. It's, it, you know, it's it, you, especially if you're in a field where you're talking to people on a very regular basis who have had some incredible trauma. How do you expect that not to affect you? You've, you've got to do something with that. It's, you need a release valve. It's got to go somewhere. And again, you know, it, it's, where is it going to go? And you know, if you are, uh, if your sink is leaking because of a burst pipe, you can get duct tape out or you can call a plumber. I mean, why not call a professional? <laughs> right, right. And, um, but you know, the, the nice thing is that I practice in a state that values physicians, uh, mental health. That's not yeah. necessarily, that's not necessarily, um, I'm not going to say that's not true across the board, but it is not very well expressed by the powers that be in other states. And, uh, it's one thing I do on my podcast is try to encourage physicians to, you know, go to their local ACP or board of healing arts and try to <laughs> appeal for that because it really, I mean, that's, that's how I believe that I would like to believe that's how the change happened. Um, and yeah, there is real fear of, oh my gosh, am I, if I check this box, am I going to be investigated or am I going to lose my license? Yeah. And you know, it's just like, well, what else would I do if I, I mean, now I do, I do not have that fear, but I have colleagues that do. And, um, you know, if. If I do lose my license, how am I going to pay for my student loans? How am I going to pay for X, Y, and Z? Yeah. No, those are, yeah. those are, those are real fears. Yeah. So you mentioned the podcast. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. When did, when did you first start doing the podcast? Sure. So I started my podcast, The Worthy Physician, in April of 2020. So. Mm. Good timing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, this was at the, the transition where I had just gone to part-time and mm -hmm. then the pandemic hit like within the same month. Yes. So there was uh, a lot of things were completely stagnant and, um, it was also coming up on the anniversary of Dr. Bicker's death by suicide. Mm -hmm. And so that's when kind of the nightmare started reoccurring and, insomnia so uh that's when the labor of love came about and um i've been enjoying it ever since you know just learning a lot and talking to other physicians and uh, non-physicians about different aspects and you know not only has it been my way of grieving and um trying to normalize the the topic of burnout or moral injury or anxiety depression and you know just what the heck am i doing in medicine but um, also my way of grieving for a loss of a friend. Is there anything in particular that you can think of that you learned while uh, doing the podcast? 
besides new skills regarding just podcasting, I, what I was hearing from other physicians and what I was hearing from, um, others talk about spirituality or gratitude, mindfulness, it reinforced what I have been trying to do since, you know, 2019, 2020, when I, when I had to put my, when I had to slow down my own life, right? Because, yeah. when, and it, this was, this was not related to the pandemic. This was related to, Hey, I just lost my best friend by suicide. He was a physician. What the right. heck am I doing? And what do I want my life to look like? And so, um, through this podcast, I've really learned that, you know, this issue is much bigger than a burnout or moral injury or just feeling like, what am I, what am I doing in medicine or how does it, you know, the frustration is not a solo narrative. It's, um, yeah. it's quite widespread and everybody has attacked their own, um, concerns differently. You know, you, you bring up the pandemic and I have to ask being a, being a physician in the time of when, when that hit, uh, and seeing, I mean, just me seeing it from the outside and the chaos that it seemed to be, you know, people, you hear all these stories about people ending up in the hospital and still thinking COVID-19 is not real. And, uh, uh, you know, all, all of these things, um, it, how do you, how do you process all of that? I mean, that was, I mean, we're still in it, but we're, we're in it to the point where we've just decided we're not. You know what I mean? Like, I think we've, I think we've hit a place where, yeah, I mean, there's the vaccination is, is hit a large number of people and it's kind of, we've done everything that we're going to do. Not everything that we should maybe, but in, and there were some things that maybe weren't handled the way they should have been in the beginning. And again, chaos. Uh, and I think there's going to be a very interesting postmortem on this, you know, years down the line, but from your perspective, um, what was, what was that like? Um, that's a great question. And I'm going to say, I am a physician that does predominant. I do outpatient only. Yeah. So I did not see what they saw in inpatient. Um, sure. I have colleagues and friends that did, and there was, some will talk about it, some won't, yeah. but and I, I can understand why. I can, I can tell you though that, um, uh, thank God for Disney and for having small kids because I actually had to turn off the I had to turn off the news. It doesn't matter yeah. what station it was on or what political leaning. It was ridiculous. Yeah. The, um, the, re the repetition of the story and that's breaking news and it's like breaking news for the last two hours right. of the same story and the music and you know everybody's opinion um yeah. 
this is when I miss the news, when it was like when I was growing up in the 1980s, just very boring, cut and dry, and then it ends. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that did a lot of, I think that did a lot of damage and provided a lot of misinformation along with social media. Yeah. Um, as someone that is a physician and, you know, I've studied all these diseases right in medical school, having a new one come out, it was like, wow, I'm seeing history in the making, but I'm scared. Uh, I'm scared. Yeah. I, I'm scared shitless because, you know, we're fighting a, um, an invisible enemy that initially was thought to maybe only affect men. And then, oh no, it's going to affect X, Y, and Z. And if you have these comorbidities, you should be dead. And uh, the incubation time is 28 days, but now it's 14 and now it's seven. And so yeah. there's a lot of, you know, these things change though, because as, as we have to remember that we're seeing history unfold and, and science, when you get more data, right? When you get more data, things change. Yeah. And so to the person that doesn't understand that or chooses not to understand that, um, saying that this was a hoax or that this was being made up just really maybe lose a little bit of, um, hope with humanity. Yeah. Um, I don't know when humanity lost the ability for critical thinking. And when we started looking at social media for our, uh, remedies such as ivermectin, which is an anti, I mean, it's an anti-parasite, not an anti-viral. Right. And when physicians are being demonized for not writing for hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin when they were shown not to work and actually you have worse side effects. Um, now that, that was, that was a problem. I mean, this, this became, um, going back to patient satisfaction, you know, if the patient isn't walking out of the office with what they want, that yeah. really ends up make, making them, um, incredibly irate and, uh, confrontational and for why, for what, why, you know, um, and then to see people die from it and yeah. for others to say this doesn't exist was, um, I'd like to see what their qualifications are for saying that this <laughs> does not exist. Yeah. And quite frankly, if they don't have those qualifications, they need to shut up. Agreed. Yeah. It's, you know, the funny thing about that too, is that I, I, I sort of scratch my head occasionally because critical thinking should not be political. Right. It should not have a side. It should just be something that everyone's trying to do. And then we can argue about politics and that's fine. Let's argue about politics, but let's not argue about reality. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing I think, right? Um, I have a patient that was a World War II veteran. He, yeah. This individual's a World War II veteran, and he said something to me a, a decade ago that has still stuck with me, and I just adore this individual. Um, he said, you know, I, I fought so that way you could have your opinion, I could have mine, and if we don't agree, we could agree to disagree. Yeah. 
And I don't know where that civility has gone on both sides. Um, I'm an independent, yeah. so I don't I don't prescribe to either side of the aisle. Um, it, it's just it's it's been interestingly sad to to see some of these things, but it's been interesting from a medical perspective to see how fast things have come about. And yeah. I am I am going to say I am. Um, grateful for what president trump did to to get those vaccines to market very quickly by taking taking away the red tape yeah um otherwise they would still be in the laboratory figuring these things out yeah so you know there um there's some good things that came about i've you know we've seen antivirals for this come out uh rather quickly um there are now two on the market um paxlovid and one i can't pronounce um, uh, you know, before that we had the monoclonal antibodies. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we've seen science really, really step up to the plate. And once the red tape was removed, we could just move, you know, move through these things much faster. So that's, that's been exciting, but it's also scary just, um, to see how society, uh, we don't necessarily care about our neighbor. And, um, if we were to Redo World War Three or World War Two with today's society. I'm not so sure that we would win. Yeah, yeah, very. It's you know, I try to have hope. I try, yeah. and I'm going to continue to try uh, because every now and again, you'll you'll come across a piece of humanity that restores your faith, and you're definitely one of those people for me. So. <laughs> Thank you for Thank coming you. and talking to me today. Thank you. No, I really appreciated this. I really appreciated the opportunity. Wasn't that incredible? I told you that was a really good conversation and I cannot thank her enough for stopping by to talk to me about all this stuff. If you want to get some more uh, Dr. Sapna in your life, and I know that you do, check out the Worthy Physician podcast. She talks about this stuff and much, much more. You can also find more information on her website, which is sapnashahak.com. As for me, you can always find me at meetup.com each and every Thursday, facilitating a group therapy session without a therapist. It's a lot of like-minded people getting together to just share their point of view and what they've been going through and getting helpful tips from people who feel the same way. So go to meetup.com, uh, Coffee Over Suicide, and you will find that. But until next week, don't kill yourselves out there. <laughs>